record. There we go. Right, let me share my screen. So we want this one. Perfect. Let's go. Wicked. So this talk is on IBS, which is a bit of a random thing to talk about, but I feel like it's something a lot of us probably have suffered from or maybe do suffer from. And I get quite a lot of questions from check-ins around IBS or certain aspects of IBS. So this talk is all about potential causes and some interventions or things that we can do to try and help our IBS. So just to start, a little definition of what IBS actually is. So it is a group of symptoms, but it's not actually classed as a disease. So IBD is a disease, but IBS is it's quite difficult to diagnose. And if you go to a doctor's, they, they probably have a quite a hard time telling you what's going on. It's basically a gut disorder and it affects one in 10 adults. Again, there's no specific test to diagnose it, but it's thought of a kind of disorder between the gut and the brain. So the gut brain axis is kind of out of whack and that can cause this overtly sensitive intestine, which is what we call visceral hypersensitivity. Um, and this is why some um, symptoms and IBS can be triggered or manifest very differently from person to person and some people have it worse than others because we have this different level of sensitivity in our intestines basically. So the most common symptoms are bloating, you've got cramps, pain, abdominal distension which is a kind of visible signs of bloating flatulence, um, constipation, diarrhea, or the urgency to go to the toilet. Um, and these symptoms are kind of an exaggerated response to various things like food, drinks, some medications, and it can be from fluctuating hormones as well. So there are some risk factors for IBS. Um, having a gut infection, so if you've ever been away on holiday and you've had like traveler's gut, or like in uh, deli belly, as they call it, when you go traveling to India and stuff, or you've had food poisoning, um, it can make the risk up to four times greater of you then having IBS throughout the rest of your life. So it will affect the sensitivity of your intestine. The second one is being female. So it's a two to one ratio of females to males that have IBS. And we tend to see that we can have IBS quite a lot around our menstruation. So like we said, fluctuating hormones can cause IBS-like symptoms. A history of anxiety and depression. There's loads of research around this, like I've just mentioned, around the kind of gut-brain axis and its link. And they've actually seen that treating the symptoms of psychological distress has relieved some of the physiological markers as well. So when they treat people for anxiety and depression, they can see that some of the symptoms of IBS actually improve. It's really, really interesting. It's something that I'm looking at at the moment. So I will be sharing more of that with you guys. Um, and that's tied into the chronic stress side of things as well. So on top of everything else, um, being stressed can be a real trigger for IBS. So um, some stress management tools, the normal stuff that we do like yoga, stretching, meditating, all that kind of stuff. That has been shown to improve IBS symptoms. Um, and there is a genetic component. So if your parents have suffered with quite bad IBS, um, there's a chance that you might have some genes that mean that you are prone to it, but they might not be triggered until something happens like food poisoning or a gut infection, or maybe you get you know, depression or anxiety. 
um, and that might trigger it. So one to watch out for if you know that your parents suffer with it, but you don't. So how do we treat the symptoms of IBS? So there's a, a lot of different things that we can do. So we're gonna start by looking at the first line dietary interventions, things that we can implement like day to day by ourselves straight away, things that I will talk about and check in with clients, um, lifestyle changes that we can do, some supplements and the evidence around that. Then we've got second line dietary interventions. This would probably be done with the help of a dietitian rather than a nutritionist like me or a coach. Um, and that's your kind of seeking professional help stage. So that's when it's really, really bad and you have no idea what's triggering it or what can be done. So we will look at that and I'll explain it to you. So some dietary considerations for helping with IBS. I always, always bang on about fibre all of the time, but manipulating the amount of fibre and the amount of water that you're having can really help. And it goes both ways. So if you're having too much fiber and not enough water, that can cause like the IBSC, so the constipation side of IBS. And likewise, if you are not having enough fiber and you're having quite a lot of water and certain things in your diet, that can cause like the IBSD. So manipulating the amount of fiber that we have or trying to include a wide variety of different types of fiber and aiming for like 30 grams a day, um, and around one and a half to two liters of water it's kind of like the sweet spot if your fiber is super super low and then you want to work to increase it you're going to need to increase your water intake as well because that'll be quite uncomfortable if not um caffeine and alcohol so both of these are gut irritants um caffeine stimulates the gi tract uh, alcohol inhibits water and sodium absorption which is what contributes to diarrhea and um, caffeine just kind of stimulates movement of uh, the gut so if you think that that might be a trigger maybe try cutting down or limiting either of those and seeing if it improves then you've got fat so foods that are high in fat or high processed foods fried foods fatty meats um things that basically have low nutritional value but just taste really really good they can be triggers for ibs spicy foods so things that contain a lot of chili and a lot of hot so, um, spices that can trigger IBS for some people I know I can't really eat jalapenos and stuff like that because that triggers me um, and then FODMAPs which we are going to look at on in a few slides but FODMAPs are basically fermentable carbohydrates um, and they get the gut to produce gas and it can be quite uncomfortable for certain people and certain FODMAPs can trigger different people based on our individual sensitivity um, so just want to touch on fibre again. So what is fibre? Fibre is the indigestible part of carbohydrates. Um, it feeds our gut microbes and it keeps our gut happy, basically. It encourages movement in the large intestine. Um, it helps to tell our brain that we are full. It can bulk out our poo. And it also bounds to other compounds, which can help prevent blood sugar spikes and lower our cholesterol levels. So lots and lots of good things that come from having enough fibre in our diet. Um, where do we find it? So fibre is kind of the backbone of most plant-based food sources, whole grains, legumes, vegetables, fruits, nuts, seeds. Different food groups contain different types of fibre. So we've got soluble and insoluble. That's why we just recommend having like a wide range of sources so that your gut will function better rather than focusing on Oh, I should have just soluble or just insoluble. Just getting a wide variety is going to be the best. Um, so some recommendations are spreading your fibre throughout your day. 
a really easy way to do that might be going right i'm going to have two portions of fruit five portions of veg three whole grains and then one to do servings of nuts or seeds or legumes and that would be a pretty decent way of setting up your fiber throughout your day or if you are tracking maybe calories macros whatever um aiming for 30 grams minimum if you're currently eating a lot less than that which most people are when they come to me and um, you want to increase it gradually and like i said make sure you increase your water intake as well because fiber needs water to kind of do its job um, and as you do increase it expect some bloating and gas that is normal but your intestine will adapt and then you'll feel a lot more comfortable you'll reap the benefits um, so like I said before, too much or too little fibre can trigger IBS. So if you're struggling to add fibre or you're confused around the type, um, you could try a supplement. I know a lot of my clients have tried this before and got on really well. Um, the main one and quite a good one is psyllium, or it might be called psyllium husk, which is a multifunctional fibre. It helps to soften, but also can help to thicken. So you don't really have to think about, oh, I need soluble fibre because of this or I need insoluble because of this. You can just go for psyllium and it kind of does the, the trick for both. You can get it from most health food stores, Holland and Barrett, my protein, that kind of thing. Start with like one teaspoon or three grams a day. Um, make sure you take it with liquid. It forms a gel or you could mix it into like oats or soup, something like that. Uh, I think it's flavorless. So you just kind of chug it down and. Um, if that doesn't really help, you can increase it up to three servings a day. But if after a month there's no improvement, then pretty much stop because it's not helping and that's not the issue that you've got with your IBS. Cool. So lifestyle interventions. Um, exercise is a key one. Recommended 30 minutes of movement five to seven times a week that raises a heart rate. That could be walking. That could be walking at a fast pace. Um, it, it can be found that strenuous exercise if you've got IBS might worsen your symptoms just due to the stress response that comes from strenuous exercise or overtraining if you're somebody that trains too much I don't think that's anybody that's going to be watching this um but if someone's listening and that is them and they're finding that they've got really really bad IBS stress is a trigger and exercising is a stressor to the body so that's one to bear in mind light exercise of 30 minutes of movement doesn't even have to be light just movement can help relieve your IBS. Again, then moving into stress, stress management. So like we said, meditation, stretching, yoga, all got loads of evidence behind them for relieving stress, but also then improving IBS symptoms. Sleep hygiene, um, quite a big one. There's loads and loads and loads of benefits, obviously for getting enough sleep, but impaired sleep can really negatively impact our gut. It also wreaks havoc with our immunity and our stress hormones which again is going to impact your IBS. So look at your routine, look at what you do before you go to bed. If you're someone that struggles to fall asleep or stay asleep, and there might be various reasons, but looking at your like routine before you go to sleep is key and trying to get into a routine. That's what sleep hygiene is about. It's like setting yourself up at a nighttime so that your body kind of knows it starts to wind down. You fall asleep easier. Maybe you read a book. Maybe you don't watch TV past a certain time. You don't have like blue lights, which I should have my glasses on for to be fair um those kind of things and just having like a set consistent routine maybe it's a little bit of stretching mobility that's going to help you sleep so that you are getting if possible at least seven hours a night that's what that's what the national sleep foundation say but whether we all do that or not is a different story um chronic medication can 
worse than IBS. So antibiotic use or over antibiotic use can harm gut bacteria. So this is a really funny one because I'm not going to sit here and say if you need antibiotics, don't take them or if you're poorly, don't take them. But sometimes they are given out a bit willy nilly. So if you don't feel like it's absolutely necessary, maybe push back and try and get alternative medicine but if you absolutely need them you absolutely need them I'm not going to tell you to go and use some herbal remedy instead but if you are somebody that is using antibiotics a lot of the time or is poorly a lot of the time that could be something that's feeding into your IBS and then supplements which we're going to talk about in a second fish oil and peppermint oil to be exact so fish oils have an anti-inflammatory response which is great for IBS because that is essentially an inflamed intestine um, so it can also help with the reduction in psychological distress. Uh, we've seen that in some studies. So if you're taking fish oils, which I'm sure most of you are, because there's lots of other benefits, you're looking at about a thousand milligram per day, but that is a thousand milligram of EPA plus DHA. There or thereabouts, um, or at least 500 milligrams. So have a look at the nutrition label on the back of your fish oil. Then you've got peppermint oil capsules. Now, capsules are different to tea you want to be having the capsules um so peppermint oil is backed by evidence there is research and anecdotal so a lot of people reporting that their um, symptoms have improved and it helps to improve abdominal pain or discomfort especially like bloating because it works to relax like a tense intestine so you look at like one capsule a day which is about 100 to 225 milligrams the reason why the capsule is better than the tea is that the tea is digested in the stomach really high up um, and put into the bloodstream really quickly whereas we want it to travel further down into the intestine so it can do its job so when it's in a capsule it's um, harder to break down so it travels a bit further so just want to bear in mind that you probably want to be having the capsules over the tea the tea won't be doing a great deal some other considerations for IBS then is eating regular meals eating smaller portions reducing your fruit intake so this is something that you can just try. It might not be an issue for anyone, but there is kind of some evidence behind or improvement seen when you reduce your fruit intake to like one portion. Per, we almost got through with no stuttering. One portion per sitting. So like I said before, the onset of your period can bring on IBS symptoms. So if you find that you are getting quite severe IBS, maybe try and monitor where and see if it does tie in with your cycle if it does then you know that's why if it doesn't then it might be something else sweeteners can trigger um ibs especially like diarrhea um sweeteners that end in all so things like xylitol zorbitol those kind of things they tend to be added to like chewing gum or sugar-free products protein bars um protein powders sometimes as well they can have like a bit of a laxative effect, especially if you have too much. So I know I find if I have too many protein bars that that definitely happens. Um, so maybe reducing those and or swapping them out for things like sucralose, aspartame or stevia instead. They're a little bit better in terms of your sweetness. Um, I wanted to put in here a little note on bloating because a lot of the time when I do check ins, people will be like, oh, my God, I'm really bloated this week. And they get quite distressed about it and they think it's like something that's quite abnormal. So bloating is obviously a feeling of increased pressure and it comes from the intestine. 
and you might be able to see it or you might just feel it like for me mainly I feel it but for some people like it's visible there's a protrusion and it comes from built up pressure from either a volume of food that you've eaten or the volume of fluid that's in your stomach or it could be the amount of FODMAP so the fermentable carbohydrates that you've eaten I'm going to move on to them in a second this increase in the gut and the content of the gut stretches the intestine and it gives that sensation of bloating it's really important to understand that occasional bloating is completely normal, especially if you've had like a heavy or a large meal, or maybe you've been eating extra fiber. Bloating after like a fibrous meal actually shows that your gut is doing its job. It's creating gas and it's moving that gas. So sometimes some bloating is to be expected and it's quite normal. Like it's not something to stress about. It's not something to think, oh my God, what do I do? Just let, let your body do its job. The bloating will go away. Um, if you think about a balloon, if you put air into the balloon, it's going to expand. The same is said for your gut. Um, some people experience worse, worse bloating than others. So you might have dinner with a friend and you eat exactly the same food, exactly the same amounts, and you might end up more bloated or feel more uncomfortable than them. And that's just down to everybody's own individual sensitivity in their intestine, basically. So some things that you can do if you do bloat quite a lot and you find it quite uncomfortable is avoiding really large meals, obviously, taking time to food your chew, food your chew, chew your food well, um, avoid too many added polyols. So polyols are what we just discussed. They are the, the sugar-free kind of xylitol, zorbitol, that kind of thing. Um, are you overdoing it on fermented foods, maybe? I don't know anyone that overdoes, overdoes it on fermented foods. Apparently it happens, um, but kefir and sauerkraut are some examples of fermented foods. I don't know anyone that loves kefir and sauerkraut not to overdo it. Like, that's weird. But anyway, um, avoid smoothies and juices and try and opt for whole foods instead. It's quite high sugar content and that, that can be quite um, triggering for some people's gut. Don't wear clothes that are too tight. Like, this seems like a really obvious one. But now that I'm mindful of it, I do find that sometimes if I eat certain meals and I'm in like my my leggings for training in, like I do feel like I'm getting bloated. It's quite uncomfortable. So I try not to eat in tight clothes or wear tight clothes just after I've eaten, which isn't very good for like going on date nights, is it? When you want to wear a little dress. But now that we're at home in lockdown, it's fine. Um, better out than in. Like that says it all. But actually what is a good thing to think of is better going out walking a little bit of movement can really help you to feel like you know you're deflating should we say and um, so any kind of gentle exercise a bit of stre stretching can help diffuse like that trapped gas which is basically what bloating is and again like I already said the peppermint oil capsules might really help if you do suffer quite a lot of your bloating so I'm going to talk about FODMAPs now um so FODMAP stands for fermentable oligosaccharide, disaccharide, monosaccharides and polyols, which I will never, ever, ever expect any of you to remember. And it is pointless information. However, FODMAPs are what I've said before, fermentable carbohydrates. So when your gut breaks these down, they create a gas. This is why they can be quite problematic. They're broken down into different groups, as you can see on here. So you've got fructose, lactose, fructans, galactans and polyols. So you can see there and um, all the different types there's quite a lot like any of these specific foods could be something that just triggers you and your IBS it's very individual so these are the foods that are kind of high 
in FODMAPs, basically. So you've got apples, cherries, dried fruit, fruit juices, honeys, mangoes, all that side. Lactose, obviously, whey protein, yogurt, milk, animal milk to be specific. And then you've got your fructans, so like bread, couscous, pasta. Then you've got some vegetables, asparagus, aubergine, beetroot, galactans, which is all your beans. And then your polyols, so obviously your zorbitol, your xylitol, and then things like mushrooms, sweet corn, cauliflower, plums, pears, peaches, like cherries, all those things. Any one of those things could be something that triggers your IBS, which sounds so fun, doesn't it? Um, so then you've got some alternatives on this side. So if you were going to try and reduce some of your if you find that you are eating like quite a high FODMAP diet here's some things that you can swap out so you know your fruit things that are quite low in FODMAP bananas blueberries melons cranberries grapes raspberries strawberries vegetables is things like your root vegetables carrot celery courgette ginger green beans kale lettuce olives pepper spinach tomato all those kind of things dairy you've got butter and cream is good brie cheddar feta mozzarella parmesan and then lactose free products obviously your carbohydrate sources are oats, potato, quinoa, rice, rice and oat cake, sweet potato, and then sweeteners, like I said, stevia, and then your sports foods, things like whey, isolates, and glucose tend to be lower in what we call FODMAP. So therefore, a little bit more gentle on the gut if you're somebody that finds that you might be sensitive. Now, the key thing to do is not remove all of those high FODMAP foods because A, it's going to be really, really restrictive and really boring diet, and B, you'll never know which one of those is what was triggering you. So it's not something that I tend to do with clients. I might make suggestions or try certain things, but it should really be done under the guise of a dietitian, under the, the kind of support and help of a dietitian. And what they do is they will remove FODMAPs from your diet for like two to six weeks and monitor your symptoms. If your symptoms go away, you know it's the FODMAPs, it's one or more of them. And then what they do is they slowly introduce each group, so like your fructans, your lactose, um, and see if the symptoms return. If you start eating fructose again and it returns, then you know, okay, I can't really eat that group of foods that's high in that FODMAP. Um, so again, it's not something that you should go and do by yourself. It, it's quite a laborious process it's boring it's restrictive it takes a lot of willpower and it would need to be overseen by a dietitian or a healthcare professional this is after you've tried all the first line approaches this would be your kind of last last line of defense um and then just something to note that's quite interesting uh i read this when i was looking up all the ibs stuff and i was like oh my god this actually makes sense i get this um so if you are somebody that suffers from ibs does it worsen when you're on a plane? Because that's quite a common thing. Um, when we take off, air expands, and this happens in everywhere, just not in your gut. Um, like when your ears pop, that's air, air expanding. So if you have a little bit of air in your intestine, in your gut, it expands as the airplane climbs. And it happens to everybody, but people with IBS have a more sensitive intestine. Therefore, they can experience quite horrible feelings. Like it might be quite painful or they might feel even more bloated because of it and um, so if that's you I know I like the past three times I've been on holiday I've been like why does my stomach kill and I've just like not understood it and I'm thinking it must be like the crappy plain food or something but it's probably this so if that's you maybe look at the food that you've eaten before are you eating a lot of foods that's high in FODMAPs if you are maybe reduce the amount that you're eating like 
one to two days before and that might help so I thought that was a really cool fact actually and something I'm going to test out whenever Boris allows us to you know leave the country <laughs> that is pretty much it did I whiz through that I bloody whiz through that so I'm going to stop the recording and take any questions it was I hope it's been helpful and it's given you some clarity on some things if not feel free to drop me a question afterwards or privately and I shall answer.